You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI podcast, your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast. In this episode, Brandon and I are joined with Rob Abasolo, who is an Airbnb super host with over $1.5 million in book reservations and a growing portfolio of short term rentals across the United States. His YouTube channel, Rowbuilt, has over 197,000 subscribers where he helps real estate investors invest in short term rentals. He's also co host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. In this episode, we discuss how he built his short term rental portfolio, how he picked markets, builds teams, best practices, war stories, and more. If you're a do-it-yourself landlord managing rental properties, Landlord Studio is made for you. The software helps landlords simplify income and expense tracking. With their easy-to-use app, you can digitize receipts, record income and expenses in real time, generate reports, and even manage leases and tenants. Plus, Landlord Studio makes late rental payments and bank visits a problem of the past with secure online rent collection. Get the rent paid directly to your bank account, and you can even automate rent reminder emails and late payment fees. Landlord Studio is also the best way to stay tax compliant. They offer a range of financial reports, including Schedule E and supplier expense reports designed for tax time. You can learn more about Landlord Studio and start your 14-day free trial at landlordstudio.com CPA and use the coupon code realestatecpa at checkout to get 25% off your plan. Again, that's landlordstudio.com CPA and use the code realestatecpa to get 25% off your plan today. Hey, Rob, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Would you be able to give our listeners a brief overview of your background, how you got involved with short-term rentals? So I was broke, uh, as many of us are at some point in our financial journey. And uh, we moved to LA, which is, of course, a smart decision when you are broke, coming from Kansas City, which is a very affordable place to live. And we were renting this small one-bedroom apartment. It was about 660 square feet. And we were paying $1,850 a month. And I told myself after six months, I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I told my wife, I was like, we got to buy a house. I don't care if it means we're we're house poor. Like I can't spend 1800 bucks on a 600 square foot place. So she was like, well, what about our apartment? We have six months left on the lease. And I said, well, I heard about this crazy thing. We can basically rent out your house to strangers on this like weird website called the Airbnb. And I think we can just like charge a hundred or $150 a night. And she was like, are you sure about this? And I was like, no, but you know, it's worth a shot. And so we bought our house and uh, we listed that apartment on Airbnb. And lo and behold, I get like a $1,500 reservation. That was like, you know, two weeks. So I was like, oh my goodness. Like if I book the other two weeks, I'm going to make like 12 or 1300 bucks. That's my student loan payment right there. And at that time, we bought this house in LA, which was $624,000, also very expensive for us. We weren't making that much and we were $80,000 in debt. And our house in Kansas City was like $159,000 just for perspective. So we were very smart. Uh, we shouldn't have bought this house, but I was like, it's worth it because it had this little 279 square foot studio space underneath that was finished. It was a bonus space. And I was mathing it out and I told my wife, I was like, well, you know, with the apartment, 
going. And then I think this house, we can probably make two or $3,000 a month on it. And that would pay for most of our $4,400 mortgage. And are you sure? No, but we got to do it. We got to take a big swing, right? And uh, lo and behold, between these two little units, I was paying my mortgage. I was saving $4,400 a month, which comes out to like, I don't know, $52,000 a year or something like that. And this was crazy to me. It was such a crazy concept because I told myself, what happens if I had 10 of these? If I had 10 of these, I could replace my nine to five job. And so that was my mission moving forward at that point. We started a couple of rental arbitrage apartments, quickly got out of that because it didn't really make sense for where I wanted to go. Started partnering up with people, started taking other people's money, investors, all that kind of stuff. And then eventually I'd go on to start a YouTube channel called The Raw Built, where I teach people how to do the same thing and how to build tiny houses and how to start their real estate journeys. And uh, fast forward to today, and that's kind of my bread and butter. I teach people how to do that every day on YouTube through my program. And I'm also a co-host on the Bigger Pockets podcast as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. So sounds like the tiny houses, is that your investment strategy at this point? Could you- it was when I got started, but honestly, at this point, I've just completely diversified across the board. So I was really focused on tiny houses when I was first starting. And I built one in my backyard in LA because remember I had that studio and I said, well, dang, what happens if I built like a tiny house in my backyard? And everyone thought I was crazy because it was $72,000, which is actually pretty cheap in my opinion. But Everyone thought it was crazy. And I was like, I don't care. I'm going to build it. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to build it again in Joshua Tree. And that one cost me $165,000. People thought I was crazy. They're like, how can you spend so much money on 300 square feet? And I was like, I don't know, but I think it's going to work. And uh, we'd have people drive by that house every day and just slowly creep on it, like in their car, just looking at me unapologetically. And I was like, all right, well, hi, you know. Um, And then I built a small home after that, which was 880 square feet. And then I got some tents going, some glamping tents and an Airstream and then a tiny A-frame and then a chalet in Tennessee, a condo in Austin, a mid-century modern cabin in Wisconsin, uh, log cabins in West Virginia. So at this point, oh, and now most recently, I bought a 6,000 square foot luxury Spanish mansion in Scottsdale, Arizona. And as of like two or three weeks ago, we just closed on a 20 unit motel. So, you know, in my five years, it took me, yeah, five years to get to 15 units. And then overnight, I'm now at like 35 units just with that hotel that we just bought. All right. So you just listed off quite a few different markets. Tell us about how you pick what market you're investing in. Like, What do you look at before you pull the trigger? So I've got four quadrants, if you will, of types of markets or areas that I'm always looking in. So I'm always looking somewhere with like a national park would be one, state park would be two, Eclectic towns would be three and vacation destinations would be four. So national parks are to me like the OG Disneyland, right? We don't have to market the Grand Canyon. We're not going to market the Smoky Mountains. Smoky Mountains, over a million people visit there a month. So, you know, the marketing is their earth is the marketing, if you will. And uh, state parks, of course, are going to be the smaller versions of that. Eclectic towns to me are... They don't have to be eclectic, but it's like these towns that have some kind of draw or some kind of gimmick or some kind of thing about them that attracts people. And there could be a couple of reasons for that. It could be uh, in Julian, right outside of San Diego, people like to go apple picking, eat pie out there. It's a cute little town. Eureka Springs, 
that is something where people like to, there's like a thousand little shops where you can buy like, I don't know, wood carvings and vintage candy and like a bunch of different things, right? People go there because they're escapes, they're getaways from their cities. And a lot of the time, some of these places fall in between two really big cities. So if you think Austin and Dallas, for example, right in the middle, of that's Waco. You know, not too long ago, Waco wasn't necessarily a bumping tourist destination, but Chip and John again set up shop there. They set up their TV show there. And now it's kind of like a very touristy town where people are going and it's a pit stop. If you're wanting to go from Austin to Dallas, you can stop there and stay the night. So that, that to me is a really good place to be. And then lastly, vacation destinations. So these are going to be like your lake houses, beach houses, mountain towns, ski resorts, or touristy towns, right? Like Hollywood in LA or like Orlando, Florida, right outside of Disney World. So you really want to follow where people are going. In my opinion, you don't have to abide by this strategy. There are a lot of people that do invest in metropolitan areas. They have really great success. But for the most part, I think if you've got a target audience that you're going for, you want to focus on the people and like where they're going and why they're going. That makes a ton of sense because obviously demographics are huge and it's it's the, the biggest thing in real estate, just where are people moving to right at the end of the day or where are people wanting to rent out of? Like where are people wanting to go on vacation? So, I mean, like with all these markets you're in, is are you ever concerned about like state and local regulations like disrupting these markets? I guess, how do you how do you hedge against that? Yeah, there are a few ways you can do that. I mean, one, a lot of people are scared of regulation, but I would encourage you not to be so scared of regulation if the regulation has already happened. You know, I actually think it's very scary and it could be pretty risky to invest in a city that hasn't been regulated, where it's like the gold rush, Wild West, right? And everyone's like, oh my God, this is it. I found it. And then boom, it's outlawed overnight. And you're like, whoa, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Right. So there is no level of regulation. I'm not typically going for that area. On top of that, I like to invest in these national park tourist destinations, right? Because those economies legitimately, they stand up on the revenue from the tax dollars and from the economic benefit of having tourists going there, right? The Smoky Mountains is an area where over a million people visit every single month. And so the whole economy is boosted by that. You know, the people that you hire, the handymen, the cleaners, like the AC guys, the roofers, all of those people are fueled by the the money that comes from short-term rentals. And so because of that, most of the time, those cities aren't going to regulate against those short-term rentals or else they're going to be really cutting themselves off from a tax standpoint. So I like being in some of these cities that depend on travel because I feel like it's a bit of a safer bet, if you will. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So basically kind of two takeaways here is one, look for towns that, or look for destinations where the local economy relies on tourism. And uh, you're going to be maybe putting yourself in a good position not to get hit with a bunch of regulations that could blow up your, you know, your short-term rental business. Well, yeah. And then also keep in mind, I just said I'm really diversified, right? So I've got 35 units across like seven or eight states. At the end of the day, you cannot completely hedge against regulation. And so it's one of those things that's, you know, you can do your best, but you don't really, no one can tell the future. Right. Right. And so I've realized this and because I've diversified so much, if I have to take an L on one property, I haven't yet, but if I had to, because of regulation, I've got 34 other properties that can pick up the slack. Right. And so that wasn't necessarily, I'd like to say that wasn't necessarily the plan. It's not like I was genius. And I was like, Hey man, if I like diversify, I'm going to be safe. 
this is just something I realized after the fact. I was like, oh man, if one of my places suffers, no big deal because the profits on my other properties are so high that you know I can sell it off. I can turn it into a long-term rental. I've got those options as someone that owns that property. Not necessarily something that you can do if you're doing rental arbitrage, for example. Really interesting. So how do you build teams across all these properties and markets? And, and how do you like manage this geographically diverse portfolio? Yeah. So I just fly to every city and clean every listing every day. No, I'm just kidding. So yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thing, right? I call this my Airbnb Avengers. And I'm just waiting for Marvel to sue me one day. But they're your Airbnb Avengers and they make up of a few core team members, right? You got your cleaner, you got your handyman, you got your contractor, you got your pest control and your pool maintenance. And what's there's one more. Oh, your lawn maintenance. Between those six things, you can run any short-term rental business. Now, very often in a lot of the markets that I'm in, it is hard to find that. You know, it really is. Wisconsin, for example, like we're on our first cleaner that we ever hired. And she, luckily she's really great. But if she was ever like, sayonara, I'm out of here. We'd be in a pretty tough spot because there aren't a lot of cleaners in that specific area that we're invested in. So it can be really, really tough. And this actually just happened in West Virginia, where we've been trying to find a cleaner out there because the first cleaners that we hired weren't great. We kept getting complaints about the cleanliness of the place. And A, that's embarrassing as a host. But B, it's embarrassing as a guy that teaches how to Airbnb, right? Like I have a certain accountability to myself that I want my listings to be really good. And so we had to let those cleaners go. And we found someone else and we're like, man, this person is really great. And then we kind of found out that she was stealing from us. Long story short, we have like a a ladybug issue in, in that part of the city where it's literally just ladybug season. And so some will sometimes get in. So now we have to send her in to go and sweep up ladybugs before every guest. And we just basically found out that she wasn't going both times and she was just going one time and she was charging us for the two. So we're like, all right, we got to fire this lady, right? And uh, we're like, well, shoot, we're a captive audience here. You know, you're a very captive audience if you don't choose your market and do your due diligence beforehand. We kind of bought this because we're like, it's a great market. We closed on it and we were like, oh, wait a minute. No one lives here. People travel here, but no one lives here, right? And so that was kind of a, a really big like shakeup for us. So it was all hands on deck. And it was like me, my business partner, my assistant. And I was like, we got to all call for like three hours everywhere. Call hotels, call motels, call small mom and pops. Ask them if they know anyone that's in the cleaning business that's looking for work, that kind of thing, right? And luckily, before we got too far into it, my assistant looked again and she found someone and boom, we've replaced it. So yes, building a team, not hard, but it can be difficult in certain markets and it does require work. And so a lot of people, like I try to make Airbnb very approachable to the everyday person. I try to teach them how to automate their business and how to self-manage so that they don't have to pay a 20 to 30% property management fee. But sometimes you just cannot automate everything, right? You can't automate finding your cleaners. And so I think once you've built your team and Once you've sort of got like a routine established and you trust them and like they're doing a really great job, boom, like self-managing and automation is super, super easy. And that to me is how I run my business. That's how I manage from afar because I'm able to automate things like my messages, scheduling my cleaners, inventory, check-ins, pricing. I can automate so much on my own that it lets my team, like my handyman and my cleaners really kind of run with it. And they report back to me when something needs to be fixed. So if something is broken, 
my cleaner will communicate that with me. And then I'll communicate that with the handyman. They'll go and fix it because I've got electronic keypads on there. And boom, we're good to go. Perfect case scenario, which has happened to me several times. I've got my cleaner who's married to a handyman. And so sometimes they don't even need to communicate to me to communicate to the handyman. They just do it all. And then they charge me after the fact. I'm like, hey. And sometimes it's more expensive than hiring a handyman out in the streets and like, you know, kind of doing different quotes and everything. But I prefer reliability over cost. And so if someone that I know is reliable, I'll pay the money just so that I can get something fixed super, super fast. So I think once you have a team you trust and automations in place, running an Airbnb property, whether it's here in Texas, Missoula, Alaska, or Antarctica, it's all kind of the same thing because I'm not going to travel to those places to fix a problem. I have to keep myself accountable to put the systems in place so that when something goes wrong, I've got the people there to fix it. Really nice explanation. One thing that I like to ask people, especially people within my firm, uh, because we're all about fast growth here at our CPA firm, if you were to double in size, what would your team look like at that point? What would you be doing on a day-to-day basis? And what sort of controls and feedback loops would you have in place to like everything that you just kind of detailed, I would imagine you're not going to be able to really do if you were to double in size. So how would you build a system that kind of scales with you? We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from Relay. If you invest in real estate and manage properties, then you need banking that's truly built for your business. With all the bank accounts you have to manage for your properties, account minimums, overdraft fees, and issues connecting to accounting software like QBO or Landlord Studio, things can get extremely complex. This is why I recommend Relay. Relay is an online banking and money management platform that is perfect for real estate businesses. First, there are no accounting fees, no overdraft fees, no minimum balances, which means you get to keep more money in your pocket. And Relay goes beyond just the basics of banking to help you understand precisely what you're earning, spending, and saving. You can get up to 20 checking accounts to organize and allocate income for things like day-to-day expenses, investments, or taxes. And if you have multiple properties set up with multiple business entities, Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access everything from one single login. Best of all, Relay makes bookkeeping speedy by giving you extra detailed transaction data and directly syncing back to accounting softwares like QuickBooks Online and and zero. It only takes 10 minutes to apply for a free Relay account, and you can do that online by going to www.relayfi.com slash the real estate CPA. Again, that's www.relayfi.com slash the real estate CPA. Go ahead and check that out, but right now we're going to get right back into today's episode. It's a really great question because I just doubled in size. <laughs> so you get me at a very vulnerable moment here, Brandon. Yeah, so... I've sort of realized a few things here. Uh, Buying the single family acquisitions has been really great. It served me for that part of my journey, but it's not really scalable because you can only buy one or two a month and get it furnished and get it set up like feasibly with like one team. And so with that math, the most you can buy in a year is like 12 to 24. But most people are really going to be, I mean, if you can get to 12 in a year, there are very few people that can, but congrats, right? So I've kind of realized that does not allow me to scale. The only way I can really scale is by buying multiple doors at once, like that motel that I bought in New York. That's a 20-unit motel that is in need of an entire gut renovation. It's actually a seven-unit motel, 12 tiny home cabins, and then like four RV spaces and like a two-bedroom, one-bath house and a two-two. So there's a lot going on there. And we are now scrambling to scale because we're like, what have we done? Why have we done this to ourselves? But I think it just means we got to hire more people to do it. So now 
I've been really relying on one central team on the scale mode. I've got my business partner who will work with the investor and meet with investors, tell them how our investment you know, arrangements and how we do it, our splits and everything. And then he closes the deal. I've got my assistant who basically manages my properties with my oversight, of course. And then when we have a new property in place, they will go and travel out and set it all up and get it ready to go. They handle the automations, they do everything. However, as you mentioned, that really only works for one to two houses a month, right? And so we just signed this deal with this investor who's like, hey, I want to buy 100 houses. Can you guys help us do that? And we were like, yes, but it's not going to be fast. (laughs) It's going to take two, three years to do that. And he's like, that's fine. So now we're at this point where we're realizing, shoot, well, we're going to have to hire basically full-time stagers. Like My assistant has been able to do it at the skill that we're at, but she can't do that full-time and be my assistant slash property manager. And then same thing with my, my business partner. He can't be running every single escrow for a hundred houses. So I'm just starting to realize that I'm even going to have to pull him out of that whole process, make him somewhat of the COO of that entire business. Who's like hiring a full-time stager, a full-time project manager and a full-time, you know, uh, like we have a full-time contractor right now who was a friend of his fan of the channel. And he's like, dude, I just want to be involved. Send me anywhere you want around the country and I'll, I'll fix things and build things for y'all. And we're like, great. And you know, he's like, pay me this much. And then eventually I want skin in the game, but let me prove myself first. I'm like, beautiful. That's a great way to help us scale because now we can send him to places like, you know, 20 unit motels to go and do the gut renovation, lead that. And then once he's at a good place with that, then we send him to the next 20 or 30 unit motel or glam site or whatever we're permitting. And then he can go and lead that. So we're not really at the point yet where we're, we're doing those first 20 at scale. That hasn't hit us like a bullet train yet because we're renovating it and he's in charge of that. But as soon as they're all ready to go, it will take basically a full-time manager for that specific property. And we just hired her. She's going to be living there full-time, managing check-ins, managing minor maintenance, managing cleaning. It's like going to be a full-time job for her. And then she'll just report back to us with anything that we can do to make her job easier. So to answer your question in a much shorter route, we just have to staff up with specialty people versus being the Jacks and Jills of all trades. Yeah, I think that's really important as you scale. We definitely got to get the right people in the right seats. Without that, I think you could easily you know, spin out of control. Things just don't work out or don't <laughs> yeah. really work out too right. Uh, so, you know, switching gears just a tiny bit. So we went through how you built the team, the markets you're in, like what kind of tools do you use in the business? You know, there's a ton of software out there, a ton of different applications, you know, especially when you're running this thing remote. How does that come together for you? Yeah. So there's a few tools that I use. Um, I use like an analytics tool. There's several that I use here. I use like AirDNA or All the Rooms. They're basically aggregators of short-term rental data. So they'll tell you, you know, like what the average daily rate of a market is, what the seasonality is, how many, you know, people are going to be booking, how much money you make on a three, four, five bedroom house. So that's what I'm using to analyze my different markets initially. Very important tools. Got to pay for them, but you know, a lot of people will have pause on paying $40 to analyze a market or a property before they spend. Three to six hundred thousand dollars on the property. It's very funny. I'm always like pushing my students. So I'm like, just pay the 40 bucks. And they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can. I'm like, you're about to literally spend 60 grand on the down payment. Um, so it's a very 
important tool when you're first getting started. But let's just say that your Airbnb is it's already established up and running. You can automate so many touch points in that process, right? So I talked about self-check-in. I automate a lot of my messaging. So instead of me sending out personal messages and saying, hey, Brandon, I hope you're excited about the reservation today. Here's all your information. I just have AI do that for me through different templates. Because back in the day, I was sending out all the messages on my own. And when you do one, it's fine. You can do it. But when you have two or three or four, you start realizing you forgot to send out important information. Guests never get responses to their questions. They get all mad. They leave you a four star. So you can basically automate a lot of the messages that go out, which is like when someone books your place, hey, you're confirmed, excited to have you. We'll reach out the day of your check-in with more information. You can send them a message when they check in and say, hey, I hope you're excited about today. Here's the link to access your check-in instructions. If you have any questions, let us know. You can do the day after check-in. Hey, how's everything going? Is everything going all right? I just got a new cleaner. If there's anything wrong, please just let us know. If you got any feedback, bring it to our attention. We're going to get it fixed. Checkout day. Hey, you know, hope you enjoyed your stay. Here are your checkout instructions. We'll see you later. And then, hey, two days after they check out, you can say, hey, if you had a five-star experience, would you mind leaving us a five-star review? We thrive on that as a small mom and pop business, right? So you can automate all of those messages, but it still can't be used as a complete crutch, right? Because a lot of the times people will say, oh yeah, everything's going great. Do you have a, a can opener? Now you can't really train an AI message to respond to that. I mean, you could, but I promise you it's not worth it, right? So you still have to have a human touch there, but it can eliminate 95% of your messaging back and forth. Same thing with pricing. That's something that I was just in the weeds of. I was always changing the prices of all my different properties and, oh, this is going to be a, a concert weekend. Let me increase the price. Again, you can do that one time, but not really. I mean, you can't do it efficiently. So there are different pricing tools that you can use and AIs and softwares that basically will give you the optimal price point for your short-term rental based on the supply and demand of any given day. So if you're in Austin, Texas, and it's October, this AI knows that that's the month of ACL, there's a lot of foot traffic going to Austin. So they know to raise your prices. If it's June or July in Texas, usually those are slower months on Airbnb. And so not a lot of people are going to be traveling there because it's too hot. So they know that tool knows to drive down your prices so that for the people that are going, you are one of the more affordable places for your specific listing. So you can automate messages, you can automate your pricing, you can even automate your cleaning schedules. So I don't really ever tell my cleaners when someone is checking in or checking out. I've got a, a scheduling tool within one of my property management systems that basically shoots them a text or an email, depending on what they want. And it says, hey, so-and-so is checking out this day, next check-in is this day, and it's for seven people. And it's important to let them know how many people so they know how many towels to put out, you know, bedding, linens, all that kind of stuff, right? And then it also lets them know like how to plan on their end with their routes and everything. And then you can even automate your reviews. I talked about automating the message to get the review where you say, hey, will you leave me a review? But you can even automate leaving a review and the machine, the AI, these freaking robots that are stealing our jobs, they'll go in and leave a review on your behalf. And then that will ping that guest to say, hey, Rob just left you a review to read it, go leave him a review. And then they leave you a review. And then that whole process is automated too. So it's pretty interesting how much of this we can really hire out for, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 bucks in property management software fees to really cut 
80 to 90% of your work out of this. Yeah, that's amazing. Cause uh, you know, how much time do you spend on this overall? Yeah. So I don't really spend as much as I did because I hired my assistant in property manager to do it. My assistant is my property manager, but let me clarify here because I do preach self-managing if you're starting out. Right. And a lot of people are like, Oh, what about property management? I'm very anti. So when I say I have a assistant slash property manager, this is obviously with the caveat that I am no longer a full-time short-term operator. I now have that business, but I also have YouTube content, bigger pockets. I also teach people how to do it. So it obviously doesn't make sense for me to be in the weeds of messaging or like dealing with things. But I would say when I was managing my properties, I was trying to spend like, let's see, well, it kind of depends on the amount of units, but let's say like five units fully optimized. I was trying to spend like three to five hours a week on it. You know, now I would say I spend closer to one to two hours a week just managing my my assistant and my property manager and helping her address things, right? Because I try to empower her to run with it, but there are a lot of very niche and nuanced things that she's never dealt with that she'll be like, hey, there's a body in the closet. What do I do with this? I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, wouldn't be the first time. And then, you know, kind of give her instruction on how to, how to move forward. Yeah, that's crazy. Was it you really had a body in the closet? No, 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 no. I'm no just kidding. I know. I, know. I did have, I did, there was an instance one time where an Airbnb guest told me that they heard a stranger breathing in the closet. And so that like became this whole eight hour ordeal that basically culminated to her having smoked weed and she just got in her head. Oh and got my scared. God. Oh yeah. My God. I could see that happening too. Like, you know, I mean, the, oh the, the weed smoking thing. Um, not Dude, that I know anything was, about that, but no, of course not. But it was, it was an eight hour detour out of my life where I was just like, Man, and it all came down to I gave her a discount. And when you give discounts to guests, it always goes wrong, like clockwork. They always end up being the worst guests. So I always teach people: someone asks you for a discount, decline them and walk away. Makes a lot of sense. So, you know, I think we 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 covered a lot so far. I I have one final question. I don't know if Brandon has any others, but my question is: Do you have any any nightmare stories besides the closet story um, that other Airbnb or you know STR owners should know about that might be able to help them avoid the same mistake? Hmm. Do I ever, uh, which one, where do I start? How much time do we have a couple hours? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, that would have me thing about this. There's so many, there's so many random things that have happened. I mean, yeah, I already gave the punchline away on that one. So I guess I'll give you a fresh one. It's just such a good story, but it's okay. So one time there was this one time that I, in my first apartment, when I was doing rental arbitrage, I had these guests check in and it was like a mom and a daughter. And they were like, Hey, you know, we checked in. It's all great. And I was like, great. Enjoy. And they went to dinner. They came back and they said, Hey, the, the key's not working. And I was like, well, it probably is. And they're like, no, it's not. And I was like, okay, I think you're in the wrong building. And they're like, no, we're not. And I'm like, well, you are though. Because it was like this apartment complex. that was like 500 units, 15 buildings that were identical. This happened to me every week. And I was always, it was always, they were in the wrong building. And I was like, well, can you just stick your head out and make sure that it says this on the sign? And they're like, it is, this is the building, bro. And I was like, fine. I'll go. Jeez. So I like drive out there and lo and behold, they were in the right spot and the key wouldn't go in. And it looked like someone basically jammed my lock. It looked like they got a screwdriver and just like invent it. And so I was like, oh, well, this is crazy. And at this point, it's like, I want to say it's like 11 and mom and daughter are like getting a little, you know, they're not happy about the situation, you know, fair enough. Their stuff is in there. They're tired. And I was like, okay, well, let me see if I can call maintenance, right? 
So maintenance is like, yeah, hey, we can't get anyone out right now. And I was like, all right, I'll just call locksmith. And they're like, no, you can't do that. We, we, we'll charge you for it. And I was like, but I, I need to get in. They're like, yeah, sorry. And so they're like, we'll send someone. I was like, fine. No one shows up for like an hour. And it's like midnight. And mom, mama bear is like not happy. She's like, I need you to call a locksmith right now. And I was like, listen, Karen, I need you to calm down. I'm on your team here. Okay. You and me, we're friends. We want the same outcome. I too want to go home and sleep. And so she's like real mad. I'm like, just trying to do my best. It's like, we're literally sitting like outside of that apartment and just like sit, sitting in silence for hours at this point, trying to make small talk here and there, but it was just really awkward. So finally these guys roll up and uh, they let's, I'll say this. They're my people, right? They're the, the Mexican guys that are coming back from a wedding. This is relevant because us Mexicans, we do like to party at weddings. This is a fun fact. You can look it up. And they all came together and I was like speaking to them in Spanish. I was like, Hey, what's up? What's going on? Like, uh, I don't understand. They're like, Oh man. Yeah. We just got back from the sweating and, uh, things were crazy, man. And I was like, Oh, can you do this? Are you sure you can do this job? And they're like, yeah, we got you, man. I got you. I got you. And I was like, Oh man, this is great. So they leave and she's like, they are plastered. I cannot believe this. This is so unprofessional. And I was like, well, I have no affiliation with them, by the way. I speak Spanish. Other than that, I don't know them. And she was like, I just, oh, I cannot believe this. And they don't come back for like 30, 45 minutes. They're just gone. And she is like pacing back and forth. I'm like, look, I will get you a hotel nearby if you want. I'll just pay for it. She's like, no, my stuff is in there. And I know you're going to steal it and all this stuff. And I was like, okay. All right, lady. I'm I'm so sorry. And uh, finally, they get back. They're all <laughs> they're all just hanging out, laughing, coming back. And the guy comes back with the drill, and he's basically gonna just drill the lock like straight through. And I was like, "All right, I guess this is how you do this." I don't know. I actually have no idea. And he's like trying to drill it, but he keeps like slipping off and hitting his head on the table or on the door. And I'm like, hey, bro, I, I can do this if you want. If you want to just give me the, the drill, I'll, I'll drill it through the, the doorknob. And he was like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I was like, didn't answer my question. Do you want to just, I'll do it for you. And then he's like, I got you. I got you. I mean, scale of one to 10, full nine or 10 on, on how drunk this guy was. So it finally gets to the point where he is trying to drill through it, but he's obviously so drunk that he just completely falls and tumbles to the ground. He's just like, oh, oh, drill in one hand, like still spinning. And then I was like, I was like, yeah, you know what, man? Uh, he was like, this isn't going to work. I, let me go get, let me go get a bigger drill. And I was like, sure, leave this one here though. And uh, he's like, I got you. I got you. And he like walks away. And then at this point, Karen and, and daughter are like, they're, they're not, they're angry, but it's like, you can't help but, at least have like, it's like just so surreal that it's like, they're just like, she stopped talking to me basically. Cause she's just like, ah, ah, ah. she was just sighing the whole time and, and I've been public. So he walks away and then finally I'm just like, all right, this is my chance. So I get the drill and I drill straight through the door and uh, I open it for her. And then they, they run in and they're like checking their bags. They're like, ah, ah. and then, and they're like, good day, sir. And then they leave. And I was like, all right. And then the guy didn't come back for like an hour. I just sit there waiting for him to come back. And he came back. He's like, oh, you fixed the door. And I was like, yeah, 
like I offered to literally 45 minutes ago. Um, so anyways, lesson learned here is I should have just not listened to my apartment complex and called a locksmith because guaranteed that locksmith could have just picked a lock in like a minute. Because I've, I've called locksmiths before and it's always very scary how quickly they could break into your house if they use their powers for evil. And uh, yeah, so from, from that point on, I've only ever hired locksmiths. I've never had to drill through the door ever again. And that is the raw built story hour, everybody. All right. So or I think bring yeah. your own drill, right? <laughs> or BYOD. That's the B-Y-O-D, number one rule <laughs> on my Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. I think also, you know, this is all the key takeaways there. Don't hire someone who's probably a nine or 10 on the drunk scale <laughs> to, to drill yeah. a hole. But, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it is what it is. They got through it. So how can our listeners learn more about you if they wanted to, you know, connect with you further or or, or subscribe to your YouTube channel? How could, how could they do that? Sure. So you can follow me over on the YouTubes over at Rob Built. That's R-O-B-U-I-L-T. There's a lot of misinformation out there. A lot of people who call me Row Built. Don't listen to them. It's Rob Built, like Rob Built It. You can also find me on Instagram at Rob Built as well. A uh, little on the nose, but hey, I figured consistency. And then if you really want to shake things up, you can find me over at TikTok on at uh, Rob Built Toe. Because sadly, someone snagged Rob Built from me. So um, or you can, if you want to find out how you can learn how to start your Airbnb business, consider going to hostcamp.com to learn about my 12-month mentorship program. Uh, and other than that, yeah, hostcamp.com, Rob Bill. And that's where you can find me. All right. Awesome. Awesome. We're going to go ahead and drop that all in the show notes below for anybody who does want to check that stuff out. Rob, thanks so much for coming to the show today. Definitely uh, dropped a lot of knowledge here for people who are interested in investing in short-term rentals. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey, before we go, I wanted to remind you, if you do want to catch future episodes of the State of the Market Show, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Tax Smart Real Estate Investors, by following the link in the show notes or by simply searching for Tax Smart Real Estate Investors on YouTube. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients, and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.